hey, uh, look what I got. This is my profit pouch. Now, in just a few minutes, I'm going to need five volunteers, and I'm going to read somebody's mind using the magical profit pouch. So you start thinking about whether you want to be my volunteers or not. And um, anybody who's stuck up on stage after I start preaching is automatically a volunteer. <laughs> See you in a few minutes. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about prophecy. Somebody came up to you and said, I have a word for you from God. How would you know if they really did? I mean, really, you, d you don't know. Do you trust them? And maybe you do trust them, but maybe this is the day they go crazy. Or maybe it really is a word from God. How do we know? You realize this book is also a book full of prophecy. How do we know it's from God? How do we know it's for real and not somebody just pulling our leg? And so I'm hoping by the time you get out of here this morning, you're going to have the answer to knowing a true prophet from a false prophet and even more importantly, or at least just as importantly, how to trust the word of God as being true, that these prophets were the real deal. Biblical prophets had one simple requirement when they predicted for God. They had to be 100% accurate. Listen, from Deuteronomy 18. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. Now, we can't do that today, but boy, that would sure put an end to a lot of TV programs, wouldn't it? <laughs> you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. See, we are afraid. If somebody comes up and says, God told me to tell you that you should, you know, drive to Antarctica tomorrow and preach to the penguins. If that's really what God wants you to do, you want to go, but you sure don't want to go if God really doesn't want you to do that. And you're kind of nervous. How do I know? Before I tell you how you can know, I want to focus in on that word for a second. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Let me read to you another passage of Scripture. This is from Ezekiel. Listen. For those of you taking notes, I'm reading from the 13th chapter. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among the ruins. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. They say, the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them. Yet they expect their words to come true. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, the Lord says, though I have not spoken? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord does say. And then he says, I am against you, false prophets. And he goes and he curses them and condemns them. Listen, there are plenty of false prophets out there. They were leading Israel astray. How do you know one from the other? 
Let me give you a warning in good faith, but please take it very seriously. Some of you will say it's exactly the same thing, and you may be right, but you'll definitely see at least the similarity if it's not exactly the same thing. A lot of people will say something like this. You know, the Lord told me last night that I should look for a new job. Oh, did he? Or are you speaking presumptuously in the name of the Lord? You mean you heard a voice from heaven? No, I didn't hear a voice. Okay, then the Lord didn't say anything because saying requires a voice. What if you get up in the middle of the night and you have a really strong urge to pray for somebody? Pray for them. But don't go the next day and say, God told me to pray for you. You can say, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and had a really strong urge to pray for you, so I did. Because that way, if it's from God, great. And if it's not from God, you just didn't speak presumptuously in the name of God. Because maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And unless you're certain, don't say it, because that's speaking presumptuously in the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit can guide us, but we also can do things on our own, too. And sometimes we don't know the difference. Humans are, you know, our God receptor antennas aren't always on high def. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sometimes we get it wrong. So don't, unless God specifically speaks to you, and you know 100% by the stoning rule that you're willing to say he spoke to you, then don't say anything. You can say, I felt I really needed to pray for you, so I did. That's great. Do that. But don't speak presumptuously in the name of the Lord. As you'll see this morning, he doesn't take kindly to it, and we should not do it. Both the Old and New Testaments tell us and warn us about false prophets. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Okay, I appreciate the warning, but how do I know if they're for real or not? Apparently, they can even do miracles. You would think that would be the deciding factor to know a true prophet from a false prophet doing a miracle, but apparently not. So how do we know? Well, we're told to test them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold to the good. 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many circle underlined, false prophets have gone out into the world. So we're warned to test prophets, but apparently what they do isn't a sufficient test. In other words, doing a miracle doesn't mean they're from God. So how do we test them if it's not what they do? Test them on what they say. You can't test them on what they do. If somebody does a miracle, how do you know if that's from God? Well, who else can do miracles? Satan? At least they look like miracles to us. Hucksters? You know, you can turn on the TV. I've done this. Turn on the TV and watch somebody fly. I saw a man stand in front of a car and it hit him. And he just stood there and the whole car collapsed around him. Saw it with my own eyes. Things you can do on the computer with graphics and editing, you don't know real from false anymore. You go to Vegas and they got headliner magicians. They do amazing things. They'll just point at somebody random in the audience and say, pick a color, and the guy will say, you know, he'll say green. 
and he'll say, now reach into your back pocket. And the guy reaches out in his back pocket, and he's got a card that says green. Ah! And we're like, how did he do that? We don't know how they did it. We can't tell true from false from miracles, but we can tell by what they say. That we can analyze. By the way, I don't think miracles are testable because they can come from Satan, they can come from tricks, and they can come from God, and we don't have the ability to differentiate which one they came from. Case in point, my profit pouch with my perfect profit-picking pencil. So, I'm going to read somebody's mind in the congregation this morning. If you have no idea what this is about, and this is news to you, I need five volunteers. But five volunteers stand in front of this table facing the church. Any five. I don't, I, I don't want to see. That way everybody knows there's no collusion. Just five volunteers line up right there in front of the table. And let me know when I've got five, because I'll stand here all morning if I have to. Is anybody stood up? How many do I have? I have five? Okay, great. Now, I have no idea who you five are. Is that correct? Okay. Wait, wait. If, if, I do, if there was no collusion, and I didn't ask you to come up before this, raise up your hand. Is everybody's hand up? Okay. Whoever's on the far side here, you're my first volunteer. Let me turn around now. Susie, hi. Okay, again, to prove there's no collusion, we did not talk ahead of time. Okay, I want you to pick one of those four as my volunteer. All right. Let's give her a hand. Everybody, the rest of you can go sit down. You were just to help stack the odds and to prove that I'm not, we have not colluded. Is that correct? Okay. Profit pouch. Okay, come on up here. I should have gotten you on a microphone. I'm sorry. But how could I have done that without collusion? Exactly. Okay. Here's what I've got. I've got, I've got cards, see? I'm going to separate them, and you just shout out what color you see on top. Blue. Blue. Red. Red. And? Green. And green. Okay. Now, I've got to get the magical profit pick and pencil. This is a magical pencil. I want you to wave it over the three colors. And while you're doing that, think of a color. Okay? I'm going to read your mind. Go ahead. Okay. Have you focused in on a color? Yes. Okay, touch it with your pencil. Green. Are you certain you want green? Yes. You can pick any color you want. Green's your color? Yes. Okay, let me remove the other colors. You are holding in your hand what? The magical pencil. The magical pencil. But this is not just any pencil. This is the magical pencil. What do you see right here? Tape. A piece of duct tape. Would you please peel the tape and tell everybody, here, I'll give you my microphone, tell everybody what it says underneath the tape. <laughs> What's it say? I will choose green. <laughs> Whoa! You, you can keep that. You can go sit down now. Thank you. don't know if a miracle comes from God, from Satan, or if it's just a trick. That was a trick. But you have no, most of you anyway, have no clue how I did it. 
But I could tell you, oh, I've got a word for you from God. And some of you would be inclined to listen because I've demonstrated supernatural powers. Tricks prove nothing. Do you remember? Moses took a stick and he threw it down and it turned into a serpent. And then a couple of false prophets threw down their sticks and what happened? Turned into a serpent too. What did it prove? Nothing. Of course, Moses' snake ate their snakes and that was great. And the first several miracles Moses did, the false prophets reproduced. So it's like Moses' were always bigger and better and they were just trying real hard to catch up. It was obvious. But still, they apparently did miracles too. So doing a, an apparent miracle doesn't really prove anything. Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known. Let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's not what they do. It's what they say. There's, there's your thing. I don't care if somebody comes up and parts the Red Sea and raises 30 ugly people from the dead and says, let's worship another God. I know he's not a true prophet. I'm real curious how he parted the water, and I'm dying to know how he raised 30 ugly people from the dead. But I know one thing, he doesn't speak for God. I know that. You know the Antichrist is going to come. And the Bible says he's going to deceive the entire world. It also says there will be believers during that time. But aside from a few people, he's going to have the whole world going after him. He's going to do miracles. So everybody's going to think he's really from God. Listen to what it says. The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So one thing we know, God's going to destroy the Antichrist. God always wins. But this is to let us know we don't have to worry. He's going to have his way for a while. God's going to give it to him. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Signs and lying wonders. The Antichrist is going to do these things. And people are going to flock after him. Because it's going to be a lot more amazing than this was. Well, all this by way of introduction. Because we've been going through the prophecies. But how do we know these prophecies are the real deal? Right now we're studying the prophet Isaiah. And he has probably more prophecies in the Bible than any other prophet. I'm not certain of that because I didn't sit down and write all the prophecies from all the prophets and calculate them. That's way too much work. But just from reading through the Bible, he's got 66 chapters. And as you read chapter after chapter, it's just loaded with prophecy. So I think he's probably got more prophecies in there than anybody else. And he's got several messianic prophecies. In fact, his prophecies are so amazingly accurate that when non-believers read the Bible, they have to come up with an answer for it. Otherwise, they have to admit his prophecies are real, which they don't want to do. So what they've done is they, they've come up with this idea of multiple Isaiahs. 
maybe you've read about Deutero-Isaiah or something. What that means is they want to think multiple Isaiahs wrote the book of Isaiah because that way they can take pieces that are prophetic and move them forward in their minds in history after they were fulfilled to say that he wrote about them in the past and lied about the future. The problem is this book goes back centuries and thousands of years. Isaiah 45.1, for an example of one of Isaiah's stunning prophecies. He said, this is what the Lord says to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him. For the sake of Israel, my chosen, verse 4, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. You're thinking, Steve, that's a prophecy? Yeah, because Isaiah lived around 700 B.C., Cyrus lived, the one he just mentioned by name, about 150 years later. When Isaiah was prophesying, the Assyrians were in power and Israel was destroyed. And then the Babylonians came into power. Isaiah died. And years after the Babylonians, then the Persians came into power and a Persian monarch arose whose name was Cyrus. Wow, how did Isaiah know? 150 years. Because he spoke for God. God told him what to write. And he said details, not just his name. Listen to what he said Cyrus would do. I'm in Isaiah 44, 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he will accomplish all that I please. He will say to Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now this is stunning, because the temple, what do you mean rebuilt? It wasn't never destroyed. <laughs> The temple was standing there in all its glory when he said Cyrus is going to say rebuild the temple. So here's Isaiah writing, Cyrus will come and he'll say rebuild the temple. What are you talking about? Rebuild the temple? So in the prophecy, it's already assumed that the temple will be destroyed. It has to be destroyed to be rebuilt. Josephus was a Jewish guy who lived in the first century. He became a Roman citizen and part of the emperor's family. And he became one of the key historians of the Roman Empire for that era. Specifically, he was known for writing history of the Jewish people. His books are available to us to this very day. One of his books is called The Antiquities of the Jews. So he was a historian, wrote in the first century, and he was writing about Jewish history. He wrote about Cyrus. Let me read to you what he said. And I'm jumping into the middle of his book here. And I'm quoting him, quoting Cyrus. Thus saith Cyrus the king, since God Almighty hath appointed me to be king of the inhabitable earth, I believe that he is that God which the nation of the Israelites worship. For indeed, he foretold my name by the prophets and that I should build him a house of Jerusalem in the country of Judea. That ends the quote. Now, Josephus continues his book. This was known to Cyrus by his reading the book which Isaiah left behind him of his prophecies. For this prophet said that God had spoken thus to him in a secret vision. My will is that Cyrus, whom I have appointed to be king over many and great nations, send back my people to their own land and build my temple. This was foretold by Isaiah 140 years before the temple was demolished. Accordingly, when Cyrus read this and admired the divine power and 
earnest desire and ambition seized upon him to fulfill what was written. So Cyrus fulfilled the word of the Lord because he heard from God, according to Josephus. And he saw his own name in the Bible, and it just made him a believer, at least in God's promises and will, not necessarily a follower of God. False prophets can blow your mind, can do amazing things. But I tell you, there's something they can't really do. Predict the future to that detail 100% of the time. They just can't. Only God can do that. In fact, God uses his ability to predict the future as evidence that he and he alone is God. In the book of Isaiah, there's challenges to the false gods and the false prophets Fine, if you're really from God, your gods are real, tell us the future. Let me read to you some of those passages. Present your case, says the Lord. This is Isaiah 41, verses 21 through 24. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols to tell us what's going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we know that you're gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we'll be dismayed and filled with fear. But you're less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. He who chooses you is detestable. That's right in your face kind of talk right there. He's saying, you know, you got all these idols you make, you worship them. Tell them to do something. They just sit there on a the shelf. They're nothing. Tell us the past, tell us the future, do anything. He says, those who choose to worship you, you're detestable. A couple chapters later, there's more of the same. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they're right so that others may hear and say it's true. But they can't. All the other holy books out there, they either have no prophecy in them or they have prophecy in them that is demonstrably false. Book of Mormon has prophecy in it that's false. Koran, no prophecy in it. So on and so forth. But the Bible is chock full of prophecy like this. Bring them forward. Show me your witnesses. Then God turns around and says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. God says, I am the only God, and in part, I prove it by telling you the future. And God challenges any other false God to be able to do that. Now, there's this famous passage of Scripture. Most of you have probably heard it, but you've probably never heard it in context before. This is the context. Now let me read to you the verse. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. God wants us to trust the Bible. In fact, he says elsewhere that I have magnified my word above all the heavens. I don't know your story, but my story revolves around the Bible. Before I believed in God, I started reading the Bible. I read it to search to see if there was a God. The more I read it, the more convinced I became that there was a God and that Jesus was the Savior. His word convinced me. Now, coming from a Jewish background, the very last thing I wanted to believe was Jesus was the Messiah. 
I was prejudiced against him. My people are, are taught not to believe in him. But from reading through the prophets, I became convinced that he was. And so when I prayed to God, still kind of struggling to get myself into the kingdom, unhappy with what I've discovered to be the truth, but knowing it was the truth, and willing to submit myself to the truth I did not initially like, I prayed something like this, God, I do now believe Jesus is the Messiah because your word says so. I believe he died for my sins and rose again because your word says so. Initially, I thought that was a lack of faith on my part. I had to put in the caveat. I don't like this. I, don't, I didn't believe it, but now I do because of your Bible. I guess I got to believe it now, God. But that's not a caveat. That's exactly what God wants, to fully and completely trust his word, to change our lives based on what his word says, to wrap our identity around his word. That's not a lack of faith. That is faith. That's exactly what he wants from us. God's word is true. And it stands forever. And it can be trusted. If it can be trusted about Cyrus, it can be trusted about everything else it says, too. And as is my custom, I usually like to end a message bringing everything back to Jesus. The word of the Lord says he's the Savior and he's the Messiah. And that he alone can save us from our sins. There is salvation in none other there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Bible says he died for our sins and rose again. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But it also says, he who believes not is condemned already. That's just as true as everything else I shared with you this morning. So God has given us a hope. He's given us a way to be saved from our sins. We have to repent of our sins, reject them, and believe in Jesus and pledge our allegiance to him, to trust and follow him. And I hope and pray that that's what you'll do. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you have magnified your word above all your name. And I pray that everybody who's listening to this message if they've got dust on their Bible, that they would blow it off and start reading it and never allow it to accumulate dust again. That they would understand, Lord, that this is their daily bread. This is their food, their spiritual power and their hope and the guidebook through the minefield of life on earth. Lord, sometimes we're so stupid we worship blocks of wood and call them God. So nothing's beyond us for stupidity. But breathe life into us. Breathe sense into us. Those who don't even consider you, help them to consider you. And those of us who have already pledged ourselves to you, help us not to, to, to just rest in that, but to work in that, to serve you with all of our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.